Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the PK Triathlon Podcast. In this episode, we get to talk to one of my coaching heroes. He's a guy that really is at the top of his game and is probably the coach in the world at the moment when it comes to ITU racing. Uh, he's just taken on a new role within Triathlon Australia, and I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm Joel Filiol, and this is the PK Triathlon Podcast. So welcome, Joel, to the PK Triathlon podcast. Uh, you're internationally recognized as one of triathlon's most successful performance leaders, uh, from Olympic Games to Elite World Championships, across disciplines from junior to ITU, non-drafting. Uh, you guide your athletes and a number of different federations, including a new one, which we'll come to in a second, to world-class success at the highest level. You've just taken on a role within Triathlon Australia as the Podium Centre head coach. And you also have an inde independent elite squad of triathletes that's multinational, 30 world, over 30 World Series winning performances uh, and nearly 100 podiums massive coaching inspiration to me just just for a bit of reference we're recording this it's it's february you're in the uk you haven't yet flown off to to triathlon australia welcome let's start by talking about your coaching career for our listeners mm. who are predominantly beginner intermediate triathletes but what we're finding is the feedback we're getting from the podcast is more advanced triathletes are actually sort of going oh it's it's good it's a little bit more laid back, not quite as regimented as, as perhaps some of them are. So can you tell us a little bit about your coaching background, how and why you decided to get into coaching? My father was a cyclist and uh, I, I uh, did a lot of recreational riding with him. And uh, the cycle club where we lived in Ontario and Canada held a triathlon and uh, I think I was 11 or 12 at the time. And so that, that was my first experience. And then um, it kind of grew from there. I, I raced uh, to a moderate level as a junior in Canada. And then that transitioned from to coaching in the kind of the afterglow of Simon Whitfield winning in Sydney. And one thing led to another and eventually led the Canadian team to Beijing, moved over here to the UK uh, and uh, did the head coach of British triathlon for, for some time and then decided to go out on my own again and to uh, start a squad, uh, which, which I continue to today and, um, and also have spent the last four years up until a couple of months ago, uh, working with the Italian team as the performance director of the Italian team. So I've got quite a range of different experiences and from my own athletics to, um, to, to really getting into coaching when I realized uh, my talent perhaps was more in that direction than on the field of play itself. We talked to Drew and Paul knows him well a few months ago now and he was telling us a little bit about uh, your coaching philosophy around um, minimum training days uh, to, to get the improvements. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think over time, this is a concept that evolved. It wasn't something that um, uh, that I started at the, at the beginning of my coaching. But I, as I 
uh, evolved my thoughts on it in endurance training and particularly around the intensity. So when we're talking about the minimum effective dose, it's primarily about that higher, higher intensity or race pace type training. Mm-hmm. And really the, the thought is, is where our focus could be to get the most return. And for, for even for the top end of the sport in terms of high performance athletes, but I think it trickles down at all levels is, is being careful and sensible about how much high intensity we're doing. And really that our focus is primarily about that endurance foundational work. A lot, a lot of it is easy training, but uh, building up your capacity to to train, so that train to train concept before uh, pushing too hard with the intensity, and really that's the aerobic foundation of the sport. And um, I th- I think it again the origin is coming from where we tend to have problems, the mistakes we make in endurance sport. I think are tend to come more from pushing too hard and not being able to recover. So it's that that concept of Let's build the foundation. Let's build our capacity to train and use small doses of higher intensity. And of course, it's, it's all relative. And the concept that's come out more recently popularized is this polarized training approach. And that resonates with me. And that depending how you interpret 80, 20, uh, there's different interpretations of whether that's number of sessions per week or, but, but, Irregardless, the the concept that most of your training should be easy endurance training, uh, basic training, and then a a much smaller proportion should be high intensity training. Mm -hmm. And in particular, we think with, uh, as we're preparing for races, the the specific training that we're doing uh, is really quite close to the race. So we're, I don't spend uh, months and months with with race specific training, but in fact that's got shorter and shorter over the years. And perhaps in particular as as it relates to short distance, but I think it equally applies to long distance in the sense of just being aware of how much higher intensity work we can do and evaluating how do we recover from that and paying attention to that. And, and again, I think it's the area that's quite easy to over overdo and particularly probably for new athletes um, and athletes who are, are learning about triathlon and how to train. It can be tempting to want to go do, you know, faster training or harder training. But if that has the cost of, of perhaps affecting your recovery, so you can't train as frequently or uh, or or just building up your your total volume then then i think that's where that concept really comes into play of thinking about this over the longer term how do we be consistent every day and being sensible about intensity is i think how we do that you know that that's what i see in my clinic with the athletes that i work with that push too hard too soon without the basis of that uh, capacity to train so yeah Totally. And, and that's, that's, you know, when we think of what allows us to reach our potential or, or improve even at a more basic level, you know, just being consistent and being able to train without interruption and avoid injury and, and health issues um, is fundamental. You know, when, you know, we, everyone sort of talks in coaching about consistency, but it's like, what does that mean practically? You know, and, and I think that comes back to managing intensity, managing how we recover. And I like the principle that kind of we, we should never do in training today what's going to impact what, what we 
would like to do tomorrow. So meaning if I push too hard today and that means tomorrow I've got to change my training, then I think we should think about that concept and, and try to adjust. So, I mean, and it's, and it's, a it's a never ending game that, that process, because of course, every athlete that has goals, they want to improve, they, they want to get better and having the discipline to manage how hard we push and managing that every day, I think is the, the art of learning how to, how to train, but, and also in coaching. It's really interesting hearing you say that. I mean, I would completely agree with you in terms of a newbies. They tend to go one way or the other. They tend to do all their sessions really, really hard, or they'll go the other way and do all their sessions really, really easy if they're training for a longer distance event or something like that. And, and what we actually need is that sort of balance in the middle. You have and continue to work with some absolute legends of the sport. If I read through your, your list of athletes who you've worked with, it's, it's a who's who of triathlon. What do you believe are the three key pillars to training and that you think athletes really need to consider as they start their programs? Yeah, I mean, it depends what background you're coming from, but it, but it, you know, it could even connect back to to this concept of consistency and and how we manage the three sports together, and and I think a lot about. Um, building your your ability to train more frequently is a fundamental part of improving. Um, so I guess, you know, p- pillar one, I suppose, is knowing your background and progressing at the appropriate rate uh, that, that allows you to, to train consistently, fre- frequently and paying attention to your recovery um, so, that, so that you can build that aerobic foundation. I mean, I, I think fu- fundamentally it, at all distances of triathlon, it's about being uh, aerobically fit and strong and resistant to fatigue is, is kind of the, is the goal that, that I'm thinking about. Um, and, and I think part of that, I suppose the second pillar that, that I'm thinking about, if we put it in this context, is, is kind of learning how to manage that process yourself as an athlete. You know, it's, it's fundamental to, to what I'm trying to do with, with some of the top athletes is, is kind of guide them and help them make those little decisions every day that enables them to be consistent in that way. But they have to take ownership of that. You know, um, uh, great thing about triathlon is a lot of athletes are open to coaching and to learning from, from other people following programs. And, and certainly that's the area where, where my, I've been focused on is helping athletes in that way athletes need to learn how to manage their training load themselves in, in, and, and it's about self-discipline, about control of ego and, and all of these concepts that enable you as an athlete to decide, you know, how much is enough today? How, you know, what, when should I push on? When should I back off? And those small decisions every day are again, what lead us towards building that chronic load over time, building that training load over time, that consistency, um, every day, you know, especially now in the pandemic context, you know, we're not been able to see the athletes as often and, and communication and, uh, uh, talking about those points. So if an athlete comes to me and says, um, you know, I, I shortened the run the other day cause, cause I was really quite tired and had heavy legs. I don't 
think to myself, oh, that's not good. You know, I think, no, that's actually an example of good decision making. And and we want to encourage that. And and it's not about being soft or it's nothing about that. It's not about um, somebody that doesn't want to work hard. It's more the opposite is thinking how to navigate the process of training every day. You have to get comfortable making those kind of decisions and adjustments. Cause I mean, even outside the context of athletes who are training full-time, I mean, a re- regular people with regular jobs and families, I mean, some, some days uh, your readiness to train is going to be less and we've got to be able to adapt to that and, and, and feel confident that that's a good thing. You know, again, it's not about following a program exactly, you know, um, or, you know, if, if you come into a, a session that's meant to be a bit harder, or a bit longer, and and you're not feeling up to it, it's like, it's fine to change it and, and uh, being comfortable and confident to do that. Uh, so, so that's another um, area that we're, that we're always thinking to develop. And, 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 and again, uh, athletes that want to improve, people that want to improve, you know, uh, that always have to be thinking about that is, is what is, is my readiness today, right? Can I, um, and there's some technology and things that can help us, but fundamentally it's like getting good at reading ourselves and our energy. And, you know, sometimes you just need to get out the door and you, and you can find you've got good legs and, and that, and, you know, and that's part of the process too. But other times it's like being comfortable doing a bit less and, um, you know, again, in the long term, being healthy, consistent, it comes from those little decisions every day that, that you can make. And um, I suppose the, the other one just, you know, it's all connected to these things, but in the bigger picture, it's, it's commitment to your goals and following through with the, you know, the, the difficult parts that of, of, of pursuing increasing fitness and increasing, uh, you know, your your readiness to, to, to compete. And again, it depends where are your spec, where you are on the spectrum from, from top end or, or not, but that, that commitment to that process is, is fundamental, I think, at all levels. And, uh, and you know, it, it becomes a bit cliche to say, well, that, that, that the top sport is kind of mental in that way. You know, you often hear the difference makers are mental, but that's what I think it means t- for me in that, that every day are, are your actions following what your goals are. You're, you know, you're, you know it's, e- it's easy to talk about, you know, wanting to compete, you know, an Ironman or wanting to compete in the Olympics. It's what are you doing every day? Does, does, are you lining up your life to organize, to give yourself the best chance to achieve what you want? And uh, so it's like that mental approach I think is, is important in the sense of, uh, are you consistently doing the things that will lead you towards achieving uh, your goals, whether again, it's whether it's a winning uh, world championships or, or competing over uh, some of the, you know, the great thing about triathlon is some of the goals that every person can have are very challenging goals. I mean, competing in Ironman is not a, it's not a, a goal to take lightly. It requires a lot of commitment, a lot of preparation and also kind of patience. And I think that, also connects to this commitment thing is that nothing we do in in training there's no shortcuts really there's you know we can't you know you can improve at the maximum rate you can improve and kind of know faster and and i think in part of that what commitment means to me is being patient for that process to take hold and you know it can be a process of several years there's you know there's no magic key workouts and so keeping that perspective uh, helps us get there from the way you talk and the, the stuff that I read about you and obviously the success that you've had with your athletes, I see you and um, through the way you've just spoken about um, 
essentially empowering your athletes to take ownership for their own journey and you're you're there to ensure they're going in the right direction Paul's going to kill me because he, he I think wanted to ask this question but clearly those are some of the characteristics that have um, led you to to your next new role at the podium centre head coach you know Paul's lived in Australia I'd love to hear a little bit about that new role and how that came about yeah, I mean, I um, and you're right that the the ownership and um, and and athletes learning how to operate autonomously for in their career and in their training in a bigger picture ha- has been a theme that that I think is very valuable. And you know, in the private world of of coaching uh, that that I've operated in, um, it's a it's one of the factors that an athlete has to take ownership if they want to hire a private coach like like I've been doing in the Olympic pathway. And one of the challenges to is to replicate that autonomy, ownership, and self-discipline inside a, a federation structure. And I kind of worked in and out of all kinds in Canada, Great Britain, Italy, and 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 through my uh, last years, I worked with a number of different federations. So um, I had been coaching three Australians already for a number of years. And um, and you guys had Drew Box uh, on the podcast uh, earlier this year, who who started out as a as a coached athlete and, and transitioned to uh, to coaching himself. And, and he's helping uh, run our uh, Australian component of the squad now because they can't we can't be all overseas and and so I already had a relationship uh, with with Australia and my my contract was coming to an end with Italy and I thought do I, did I want to continue or did I want to do something different and I think for my for a new professional challenge this this was one where um, uh, Australia and triathlon Australia and their performance director Justin Drew and and uh, Miles Stewart a former fantastic athlete and CEO that they have a vision that was interesting to me and a, and a new challenge and it's something that also um, uh, will allow me to have some longevity in, in coaching and that I've been at it a, a long time but um, you know the way that I've been working the last years working here um, well all over Europe but but not from home where I've been living so I've been spending a lot of days outside of home and uh, so I've been thinking about how do I continue and kind of reinvent myself and bring new energy so so where I already had this relationship we, we thought well here's an opportunity to expand that and um, and essentially it's it, it's building a, a new squad in, in Australia um, and that's going to take time. And that's why we started kind of now, even though we're not able to go immediately, but we're able to do a lot of the groundwork so that the, the next years that will be kind of ready, you know, we've got the Commonwealth games coming next year in, in Birmingham in 2022. So just beyond just Tokyo, but looking towards Paris. And, and I think that forward looking vision is, I mean, it's hard to do in the in this modern sporting context. It's, you know, we often, and even it comes back to working as coaches and athletes, we're focused so much on the short term that I think that longer term vision is is uh, more difficult to implement. But in this case, we were able to find a good fit. And so I'm looking forward to that challenge. As I said, I've been in and out of federations over my uh, course of my career, and, and it's a different kind of challenge. And, and what we have to keep is that, uh, that, point where the athletes decide that they want to participate in, in this kind of project and there will be other options in Australia but um, 
But I think that will, this will help us get off the ground and that there's already Australian athletes and, um, and really contributing to the coaching community in Australia is, is one of my, my goals and something that, that I'm enthusiastic about. So you know, I look forward to getting on the ground there eventually and, and really building something over the next four years. So two things. One is I'm probably going to move back to Australia then. And the other <laughs> thing is, as a, as a POM... I'm a little bit worried for British triathletes going forward because with your reputation, I think we're playing for the minor places, which is not actually what I want. So do your job really well, but don't do it so well. Quick question. What will happen to the JFT group that you've got now? Is, is that going to continue? Uh, not in the same way. No, I mean, my, I'm making the commitment to Australia and, and some of the athletes that I'll, I have had relationships with will, will continue in, in some form or another. And, and you know, we're all, also others um, have been with me a long time and, and I never take it for granted in my coaching that athletes will continue, you know, for, forever. So, you know, I've certainly really value the relationships ahead and I, and I hope that they, some of them will, will continue and, and help build the, the project in Australia because that's something that, you know, the, the model that we've been doing, it, it's one of the real benefits is that probably no country has a quite that level of talent or, you know, that, that you can make in an international group that work together, even, even though our concept isn't to push each other harder necessarily, but, you know, to, to make a, a group like that um, as an international group is an advantage in some way. And, and athletes like Jake and Aaron and Emma have benefited from that. But at the same time, it's like we, we, we want to be committed to, to building a squad um, in Australia. So, uh, but, I, but I won't be looking to kind of expand as we had in the, in, you know, in the last years. So it'll be different in that way. And, and that's part of the professional challenge for me is, is uh, to bring a new energy in that way to, you know, it's not just develop athletes because the, the focus of that group is um, eventually going to be, you know, the, the, the more senior athletes in, in Australia, but it is developing from, from the point of, you know, being a very good U23 or early senior athlete to, to achieving their potential is, is still quite challenging and, and difficult. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. I'm passionate about my coaching. I love the face-to-face stuff. I love the, the interaction with the athletes, the engaging and sort of standing on the pool deck and, and working with some technique or standing on the side of a running track. I personally have really struggled this last 12 months not being able to do that sort of thing or um, deliver training camps and that sort of thing, which is what I love doing. How have you managed not doing any of that has it been a refreshing change is it nice to be home for instead of being away for 200 days a year you're actually home for that that period of time yeah i mean from from that side yes i mean although it's been it's been challenging uh in that um it's not home under normal conditions so you know um you know i'm somebody that i uh need time to think and to reflect and that's been more difficult i've got two young girls so not given a lot of space for that but no i've appreciated that and and that's also part of the reason why this change is i've you know i've been home and and you know it's ever more um obvious that i need to be uh, with my family for longer periods but oh i've absolutely found it difficult <laughs> very difficult to, it's um you know, I, and I observed all over the world, different pe- people handled uh, in totally different ways. I mean, some some people started businesses and projects. And for me, I, I took time to, 
I guess, reflect and, and pause. Um, and, but I absolutely miss the, the, the face-to-face interactions and, you know, being, being, uh, uh, present to be able to help that process. You know, I think it's, it's, it's hard to do uh, the same level of communication when you don't have that, um, you know, ability to have those informal chats and, you know, poolside chats, uh, you know, you got to make more uh, meetings and appointments and, and that kind of formality. It's okay for some, some people and others, it, it's a bit harder to get the same level of communication. And I mean, I was fortunate that um, last um, August and leading into some of the races, we, we were able to go away on a training camp and go to a bunch of races. So we did have about still about two months uh, on the road and, and, and with athletes. But normally at this time of year, the last years I've been in Canary Islands or Mallorca or somewhere else. And, and we've had to pause uh, uh, while we still have athletes training and, and managing, but we're not able to get everyone together. So uh, in addition with the later start of the year, it kind of lines up anyway, but, but certainly it, it, it's been challenging for communication and, and, you know, I, my strategy has been also to manage the training load accordingly. So if I know that, you know, we might not be able to uh, make the finer adjustments every day, I might adjust the training load to build in a bit of a buffer to deal with that so that, you know, we're not too close to the limit of, of the ability to recover or, you know, if little niggles or things pop up that we're able to catch those. So I might manage the training load a little bit in that, in that way. So, but it's definitely been challenging, you know, um, especially, you know, we've been on a, a track towards Tokyo for a number of years and it, tend not to think about it too much. It's just like on autopilot. This is the things that we do. This is the order that we do them. And, uh, and then of course, all that's had to stop just, just like everybody in, in all walks of life has, has had to stop, but yeah, it's, it's been challenging and uh, looking forward to the other side of this. Yeah. <laughs> um, how old are your girls, Joel? Four and almost seven. Right. So are they, have they started on their triathlon? journey yet we do take them to bike tracks around here um you know that that's quite fun uh, the older girl charlotte has just got a geared bike so she learned how to shift gears they got hoy bikes so we're ah, following our, our their scottish roots so um but yes i i don't know if they will i mean we, we put them in swimming but um occasionally take them for runs around the block but um you know early days yes i mean it's I guess it's like everything, the lessons I take from my coaching, they have to enjoy it and, you know, whatever that we're doing. And if, you know, we're going to build a lifelong joy and of fitness, then it has to be fun. And so we, we take it slowly. Excellent. Um, yeah. That leads me to my next question. For our athletes, what strength, if, if you're new into the sport, what's, what is the one type of strength you think everybody should try and develop, particularly if it doesn't come naturally? Uh, what comes to mind for strength? I mean, I, I guess when I, in, there's a strength is an interesting word because it can mean a lot of different things yeah. to different people, but you know um, what I think it's what comes to mind is for me, the, the strength in terms of building up your resistance to fatigue. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it just comes back to that, that basic um, aerobic fitness and build and giving yourself time to, to build that. And, you know, it, if you come, if you don't have a swimming background, that can be the one that takes a bit of time where it's swimming becomes more enjoyable. Maybe it doesn't feel like it at first, 
And it's certainly, you know, uh, it's been a long time since I was an athlete, but um, in terms of training, but when I, you know, even go back in the water, you, you don't realize how much uh, your arms lose aerobic conditioning. Cause we don't walk around on our arms, obviously, but for some of that, like when you get enough momentum built up, I think it really actually training really starts to become more fun and you kind of open that door. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, e- even across just in the endurance point of view, you know, even if you've got to go slower, I still in- encourage that, like build up your capacity to extend yourself. Um, and that can come through frequency, but that, that's what comes to mind for me is, is being patient with yourself, building your condition. And then once you've got that basic condition and you can do the duration that you want, then I think you can start to be more interested in pushing the efforts at different times. And, you know, so that's how I think about it. Really keep it simple at first, progress. And, and over time, you open more doors to, to do more fun things. Thank you. I've, I've been to some God knows how many countries around the world through triathlon and, and through the sport and seen some stellar places to, to race, to train. Um, I know you guys traditionally have trained in places like Banyol in Spain and, and Mallorca. Where's your favorite place to train and coach? Yeah. Um, my, my favorite place is probably in the, in the French Pyrenees. We we've trained in Faraba, uh, many, many years. And I mean, I like, um, places with mountains, places with hills and forest, if we can have, um, I love running in the forest in, in the Pyrenees, various, there's all kinds of, you know, anywhere where there's like cross country ski trails, there's often great places to run. Um, and so I, I personally like that. And I think that the athletes like that. It's also the altitude um, training center there is, is part of the attraction why we go there, but, you know, small town, quiet roads. Um, maybe when all the tourists come in August, a bit less quiet, but that's probably my favorite place. So Farmer and, uh, you, you know, it's about two and a half hours from Barcelona. If that's how we usually go up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Mallorca is some spectacular cycling, um, but uh, so we always enjoy that. But I think when I try, I look for a place, my criteria is how much off-road running can we do? and and safe varied cycling you know and and of course we we need good swimming pools but i think you know we we can be adaptable about swimming you know short short course pools long course pools six lanes eight lanes ten ten lanes doesn't matter so much but if we've got uh, nice soft surfaces to run trails to run and uh, safe quiet roads and and hills you know ideally hills uh, then so those are my favorite places Nice. Can I ask my question? The question. Oh, that one. Okay. That one. (laughs) You've jumped around a little bit, Joel. So right at the beginning of of when we started doing these podcasts in October or something, might have been earlier. It was was April last year. Was it? Well, we had had a podcast called um, It's Bad, But You Like It. And it was all about nutrition. So it, it's it's a one question that we ask almost everybody, I think. What's, what uh, food is your bad, but you like it? <laughs> well, um, what comes to mind? So I, I'm Canadian and we have uh, this place called Tim Hortons. So Tim Hortons is a coffee shop that has donuts. And you don't really see uh, donuts. That's not donuts in the UK are not the same, although you can find some. 
<laughs> but probably the closest are these things called yum yums that are I don't know you can get them at Greg's. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are <laughs> like uh, it's no good. I can consume as many of those as you throw at me. So <laughs> yes, I think it just yesterday I went through a bunch of those. So I'm get I'm getting a bit too old to be eating stuff like that all the time. I've realized now that um, and I'm not that old, but you know I can't out train the nutrition anymore so no. you know when you're when you're younger you can get away with all kinds but not anymore so even though personally for me the pandemic has been a way to uh, get a bit fitter so I've definitely spent more time exercising but uh, unless you change the diet it doesn't shift any anything else <laughs> very interesting I can't remember what, I can't remember what Drew was was Drew Mackers I think Drew went yeah, to Drew, I think Drew went to Mackers so I've only got a couple of questions left. What's your single piece of advice you'd give a beginner triathlete? Uh, we've probably covered some of the, the, the basic stuff, but the thing that, that I always talk about these days is the, the influence of technology on, on training. And it, it's a double-edged sword in that um, for some people, the measuring what they're doing um, you know, with, with Garmin's GPS device, Strava and all those can, can be part of the motivation. And if that gets them out the door, then, then that's, that's a really positive thing. The other side is kind of losing touch with paying attention to how you feel or, or going too fast when you're meant to be going easy. And that, and that's a, a phenomenon I see at all levels is um, paying attention to the speed on easy runs in particular. And um, you know, if there's, if there's one sort of training error that's quite common is, is not going easy enough when you're really meant to go easy. And, and if you're looking at the speed per K that you're going, uh, it can be, it can be a bit self-destructive in that way if, if you're not paying attention. So, uh, you know, the advice that I would have on that side is don't become dependent on your, on your devices and try to create some opportunity to really learn your perceived exertion, learn about how you're feeling and paying attention to that. So don't become a, a slave to your devices. Joel, if you were going to describe triathlon in three words without using swim, bike, run or triathlon, what would they be? Triathlon in three words. Oh boy. <laughs> Challenge come, challenges one. Um, and I guess I would think of it as it's not three sports, it's one sport. So I don't know if those are my, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've come up with three words there, but <laughs> one sport and, and it's a challenge. One sport challenge. One there sport we go. Challenge. Excellent. There you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And Joe, you must have the most international accents of all time. You I've think? Them <laughs> as I go along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I've lived in Scotland for a while, but um, my wife, Carrie, doesn't speak with a very strong, I would consider, does not speak with a strong Scottish accent. So I'm sure I pick something up there. But, um, you know, I spend a lot of time around people, well, historically, not the last while, but who speak English as a second language. And I'm sure that has to have some kind of effect on how some of the words and some of the way that, yeah, you know, yeah. because you can tend to mirror each other. So if you think yeah. I spent a lot of time around, you know, French, Spanish and Belgians that all speak 
very particularly <laughs> um, amongst others. So yeah, I mean, I, ha- I have to pick up some some Aussie stuff. But you, you know what I struggle with is in Australia is the the nicknames and like I, I just can't make myself do it. I can't call Drew Boxy or Jacko or I don't know why, but it's just I I think I just sound ridiculous saying that. But I but that's you know obviously you know all of the 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 way that you shorten those names for all kinds of things you know i mean everything i don't know if i'm going to be able to adjust to that so <laughs> oh you will i mean yeah it's it's quite funny because even things like wine becomes vino they just yeah. stick an o on the end of everything that's quite <laughs> we'll see we'll see but, um, but anyway yeah we'll do this we'll do this interview again in a couple of years and you'll have a really really strong queensland accent right <laughs> with scottish yeah, yeah, yeah. My my uh, my girls uh, developing some accents. Uh, it depends the 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 nursery they were in before. Now, the workers there, the key workers, were quite a lot stronger accent than the current ones. So right. it depends. But they pick up all kinds of stuff from uh, my youngest. Doesn't pronounce the T's and anything. So. <laughs> Water. <laughs> Which I, I don't mind, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my four-year-old's actually an Aussie, and oh right, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So she's desperate. She wants to go back. She keeps saying, right. "When we go back to Australia, we're going to take this, this, and this." So yeah. yeah, um but she's lost that Australian any hint of mm. Australian since gone. So yeah. I, I hate to tell you, but your kids are going to talk Australian. Yeah, well, that's all right. Not Australian, it's Australian. Australian, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so well, much, Joel. Enjoyed it, guys. Thanks very much for having me. All the best. Very much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Bye. 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 Just before we go, folks, I'd like to say a massive thank you for Joel for coming on on that episode. If you haven't listened to some of our other episodes that were recorded prior to this, you can get those on most of our podcast providers. People like Steve True, Dave Scott, Mark Allen, Craig Alexander, Nikki Bartlett, Leander Cave, and not to mention some of the other superstars of triathlon. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy the podcast.